Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 76, recorded Monday, January 17th, 2022. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Today, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day here in the United States. And it's a great day to reflect on Dr. King's legacy. There's so much negativity right now out in the world, and we can certainly use some of the hope that he inspired during his way too short life. Well, winter has certainly descended on Connecticut. Since the last show, we've had one big snowstorm with over a foot of snow, some bone-chilling days where the high temperature only made it to about 15 degrees, and now today we had a little bit of a wintry mix and a lot of wind. How many more days until spring? I personally can't wait for the warmer weather to make its return. Now this week, we finalized our plans for our annual Memorial Day trip to Nassau, Just talking about it and thinking about the great fun we have when we go diving down there helped me get over some of the winter blues I seem to experience when we get to mid-January. I can picture myself now doing that giant stride off the back of Stuart Cove's boat, descending on the Ray of Hope, and being greeted by the myriad of gray sharks and grouper. By my count, that will be in 127 days. On today's show, I'm going to talk about a book Dark Descent by Kevin McMurray. The book is about diving on the Empress of Ireland wreck. So stay tuned for that. But first up is Wet Notes, our news and information update. This is Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for Monday, January 17th, 2022. First up today, I want to give you an update related to the New England Rec Symposium that I told you about last time. Well, Omicron and the coronavirus have struck again. Because of the current situation, they have decided to reschedule the symposium. Originally, it was planned for Saturday, January 29th. Well, they have moved the event to Saturday, March 26, 2022. I don't have any more details. I checked out the SeaCon website, and and you can still buy your tickets online, but they don't have any additional information, so I'm guessing that the schedule will be the same, that is, if all the presenters are still available. I read an article that was written by Dr. Phil Pfeiffer, who is a professor at East Tennessee State University, about how they used an aerator system at Gray Quarry in Gray, Tennessee. Dr. Pfeiffer, who is an avid diver, writes about how the owners of the quarry, Debbie and Wayne Bartlett, purchased the quarry in 2014 with the goal of turning it into a scuba park. Only problem was the cold temperatures, thermoclines, and poor visibility. 
Well, after a lot of effort, Wayne devised an aerating system, and after two weeks of operation, the thermocline dissipated, and then after about four weeks, the fish returned. The estimated investment in the aerating system is about $100,000. Today, the visibility runs about 20 to 80 feet, and it's a f- which is a far cry from that initial two feet. Now, the quarry is now run as a nonprofit. You can check it out at grayquarry.com. Speaking of scuba diving quarries, I have tried to keep you updated on the latest information on the status of Dutch Springs in Bethlehem, PA. You might remember that the property was sold to a Texas developer, Trammell Crow, a subsidiary of CBRE, and their plan was to build two warehouses on the site. That raised a lot of disappointment from the Northeast dive community. Well, since they can't build warehouses on the 50-acre lake, they were open to other solutions. Now it seems that there's a revised proposal for Dutch Springs to remain open for scuba diving. Turns out Ken Kraft, a former Northampton County Council president, and Jim Folk from Atlantis Aquatics will form Dive LLC, and Jim will run the scuba business at the quarry. The former aqua park at Dutch will be shut down. The plan is to have diving by reservation only. Also, they are planning on renaming Dutch Springs. Let's see how this all plays out, and I'll keep you updated as I find out more. Last time on Wet Notes, I told you about Virtual Divers International, the Virtual Diver course. Well, the next day after my podcast, Scuba Schools International, or SSI, announced a partnership with VDI. According to SSI CEO, Guido Watzig, SSI is constantly looking for new ways to acquire consumers, whether that's through our own advances or partnering with new and innovative companies. When we see an opportunity, we act quickly. This is one of those opportunities. Now, as part of this partnership, VDI will list all SSI training centers as partners from day one. Now, Jim Holliday of VDI Operations said that SSI is the world's largest business-based training agency for a reason. They clearly have a technology vision. SSI ended their press release by saying, please remember, SSI is not a certification, is not just a certification agency. Then in all caps, they say, we are your partner in business. Interesting. I reported a couple of times here on the show that Shearwater is experiencing a backlog with their Perdix and Peregrine dive computers. Well, recently we we were informed of another issue that dive shops are being targeted by organized crime to buy high-end dive computers with stolen credit cards, and that over $10,000 worth of Shearwater computers, transmitters, and Garmin descents were pilfered. Interesting how they went in with the bad cards that required the owners of the dive shop to manually enter the card information, and then they would leave with their merchandise. That left the dive shop owners holding the bag. No sale, no equipment, and no coverage. Now, we had someone try to buy one of our transmitters online, and they requested an overnight delivery before 8 a.m., 
That didn't seem right, so we did some investigation and found out it was fraud. So you can never let your guard down. Now, Shearwater has all the serial numbers of the stolen equipment, and they issued a warning to only buy from certified dealers. If the price is too good to be true, beware. There are no warranties on stolen gear. And finally today, let's end with some good news. The New England Aquarium had reported in the Boston Globe about the birth of the ninth North Atlantic right whale calf this season, and that was back in December. Well, now the Anderson Cabot Center for Ocean Life at the New England Aquarium has the count up to 11. Now, these are one of the most endangered species in the world, so this extraordinary calving season that runs between December and March is encouraging. The ninth calf this year was spotted off Jekyll Island, Georgia, and was born to the 26-year-old right whale named Topolago. The right whales migrate south in the winter. Their biggest threat today comes from entanglement and ship strikes. With an estimated population of only 336, every calf is critical. Let's hope we continue to see the population increase and keep up our efforts to limit the threats they face. Well, that wraps up this edition of Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio. A couple of years ago, I did a segment here on the podcast about the book Deep Descent by Kevin F. McMurray, and that was about diving on the Andrea Doria. That was really a great book, and Kevin told a great story about the history of this challenging dive. Its subtitle is Adventures and Death, Diving the Andrea Doria. That book was published in 2001. Well, a couple of years later, in 2004, Kevin penned another book. This one was titled Dark Descent, Diving and the Deadly Allure of the Empress of Ireland. Now, I'm probably like a lot of people who never really heard about this tragic shipwreck. Let's start with a little bit of history of the Empress of Ireland. The Canadian Pacific Railway decided at the time to enter into transatlantic trade, especially as it related to transporting immigrants. So they purchased the Elmer Dempster Lines and its fleet, and then ordered two new ocean liners from the Fairfield Shipbuilding and Engineering Company in Glasgow, Scotland. These two hulls became the Empress of Britain and the Empress of Ireland. The Empress of Ireland was launched on January 27, 1906. It measured 548 feet, displaced 26,000 tons, and had a passenger capacity of 1,550 and a crew of 420. Now, in the early morning hours of May 29, 1914, just about two years after the Titanic disaster, the Empress of Ireland, bound for England, collided with the collier Storstad in the St. Lawrence Seaway. The Empress of Ireland sank in 14 minutes, claiming the lives of 840 passengers and 172 crew members. The wreck sits in about 130 feet. Kevin does a great job detailing the events that led to the collision and the immediate aftermath. 
The book begins with Kevin telling us about his first dive on the Empress of Ireland was while he was attending Syracuse University in 1971. He tells us how he wore a quarter-inch wetsuit, had a single 72-cubic-foot tank with a basic regulator, fins, mass, snorkel, knife, and little else. Can you imagine doing this dive today like that? Needless to say, he was thankful that he made it back from the dive in 38-degree water. Over the years, he determined that he would need to make it back. Diving on the Empress of Ireland started in June 1914. The goal was to recover the bodies trapped inside the wreck. There were a whole bunch of other reasons why the Canadian Pacific Railway wanted to begin salvage operations, including determining the value for the different insurance claims and losses. Tragedy struck, and a hard-hat diver named Edward Kassaboom died when he was swept off the wreck and perished. But salvage work continued, and later in 1914, all diving ended on the wreck, and she wouldn't be visited again for 50 years. In May of 1964, a newspaper article ran in the Toronto Star Weekly to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the sinking. That's when five friends, all avid divers, determined this was a wreck that they had to dive. They were André Menard, Jean-Paul Fournier, Ferdinand Bergeron, Claude Villanueva, and his brother Robert Villanueva. But first, they needed to find a wreck. So they chartered a yacht, Le Canadien, captained by Mario Lavoie, and eventually found the Empress of Ireland and did their dive with recreational gear meant for the warmer climates. By 1968, André Menard had enlisted several U.S. wreck divers to come and dive, and they included Peter Peralt, Veronica Ronnie Gilligan, and Fred Zeller. Ronnie Gilligan has the distinction of being the first woman to dive the Empress. Then, in 1970, Philippe Boudreau joined up with Peter Peralt's expedition and became the self-proclaimed protector of the Empress of Ireland wreck. There was a lot of politics going on with who could dive, when they could dive, and what would happen with the artifacts. Many twists and turns here that are outlined in the book. Kevin tells us about the visits by Jacques Cousteau and the Calypso, along with Robert Ballard. He takes us through all of the high-profile divers who explored the wreck, including Serge Lavoie, David Bright, Gary Gentile, and John Rieke. Kevin also gives us the detailed accounts of the diving accidents that took the lives of Hector Moussant, Lise Parent, Xavier Roblain, Pierre Lepage, and Serge Cornier. By 2002, Kevin decided to run an expedition to the Empress of Ireland. He tells us about how he had put the word out at the Beneath the Sea, the dive show in New Jersey, and was referred to Gary Kulisek by Dan Crowell. He was able to get his dates locked in and then recruited three other divers, Peter Piedmont, Daryl Johnson, and Colin McGreevy. In 2002, Kevin McMurray returned to the Empress of Ireland wreck. But he wasn't done there. The next year they were back, but this time he invited Ronnie Gilligan to again dive the Empress. She made the dive, and although there was an incident with her dry suit, fortunately, 
everything turned out okay. The book ends with an epilogue that details all of the Empress of Ireland diving alumni. Now here's one more thing about this book that pointed me in yet another direction. In the preface, Kevin describes his interview with Clive Cussler. I knew the name Clive Cussler, but really didn't know about Clive Cussler. The interesting point that he makes is that the only artifact from shipwrecks that Clive had in his office were from the Empress of Ireland. Now this was a wreck that this renowned shipwreck hunter never visited. Clive was fascinated by the Empress of Ireland and wrote it into one of his Dirk Pitt novels, Night Probe. Well, that got me to first read Clive Cussler's Sea Hunter books about his exploits finding lost shipwrecks, and then start to read the Dirk Pitt series. Right now, I'm through the first nine, only 17 more to go, and that's as of right now, because you see, Clive's son, Dirk Cussler, has taken over the series. And, and he released a 2021 no- novel by Dirk Pitt called The Devil Sea. Maybe down the road I'll do a segment on Clive and the Dirk Pitt novels. But I've got to tell you, I'm really enjoying it, and Night Probe was outstanding. Somehow, I felt a little more connected having read Dark Descent by Kevin F. McMurray. It's funny how little things put you on a different path, like my reading the Clive Cussler Dirk Pitt novels. I'm reading them in order. That way I can get to see the evolution of Clive's writing and Dirk's character. Well, that wraps up episode 76 of Scooby Shack Radio here on this Martin Luther King holiday. Once again, thank you for listening and take care, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time. <laughs>